you, Lord. I'm so grateful for the privilege to know Jesus. Did you know that if there's anything that we... I mean, standing here listening to these beautiful songs that they were playing and looking at that, and I'm just thinking, Lord, those of us that have had the privilege to know you as Lord and Savior are the most blessed of all people that's ever walked on the face of the earth. I mean, this morning I listened to D. James Kennedy read an article that was in a newspaper in Florida, and it was written by a group of atheists. And I thought, Lord, those people, they have been deceived by the devil. Those are human beings that have been deceived by the enemy. And here we have this great and awesome God. And we don't even spend any time with him. We don't worship him, praise him, so little. But, I mean, this morning, as after I listened to him, uh, I was sitting there in my office and I was just sitting there with my chair laid back, laid back against the wall, kind of, and my hands raised, and I'm thinking, oh, God, Lord, I just want to know you better. Amen. I want to know more about who you are. I said, Lord, you are so capable of doing what I am so incapable of doing. I said, Lord, to think that I have the privilege not only to have known you as my Savior, but to now know you as my healer, my deliverer, my provider. And then, Lord, to step over into this world of faith and to see you do all these mighty signs and wonders and miracles that I've had the privilege to see you do. I said, Lord, of all people, we are so blessed. Amen. We are so blessed. Amen. I think, you know, we don't praise him enough. We don't thank Him enough. We just, we just don't realize who God is. I said, Lord, I, I prayed and on the way down here a while ago, Cheryl and I, we come around the corner down there and there was a man walking with a pair of crutches with one leg gone. Walking in front of that station over there. I see people like that over there on that corner pretty regular, but this wasn't the same one. Uh, I, I saw a different one this morning. I thought, Lord, whatever I need to do, that I may get to the point where that when I could walk up to a human being like that and I could really believe your promise, where you said, just son, ask me for anything, Amen. anything, and I'll do it for you. May my faith get to the point where I could just stop the car, run over and say, sir, I'm going to pray and ask the king of the universe to give you a new leg, and I'm going to guarantee he's going to give it to you. And I said, in the name of Jesus, Father, give him a new leg and see that leg grow out right there. I said, Lord, that's where I want to get. That's where I want to be. You know, and I have people all the time tell me, well, good grief, Thurman, you ought to be happy where you are. You know, I said, well, I'm not happy where I am. You know, when you've tasted the heavenly gift... When you've tasted that heavenly gift and the powers of the world to come. I mean, I mean, I got to be somewhere down here on the bottom of a step from here. And here's step one or two out of maybe 5,000. And I'm somewhere down here near the bottom. But I want to be on the top. Don't you, Ernest? Yes, sir. I want to be able to pray that prayer of faith and see God do mightier things. Because, you know, when we, the church, start walking in this. Nobody will have to ask, is there really a God? Is there really a God? 
When we walk in the kind of power that's available to us as sons and daughters of God, when we as children of God become true children of God that are led by the Spirit of God, we begin to hear His voice. You know, it's amazing how that for years I didn't know He was a God that spoke. Nobody ever told me He was. <clears throat> and then one day, I heard His voice. And He spoke to me and He told me something to do over my children. And I thought, wow, how awesome. I did it. I was obedient. I obeyed Him. And then, of course, as many of you know, two years later, I heard it a second time. Who knows how many times he tried to talk to me in there, but I, I didn't hear. But I heard clear this morning, that morning, years ago. And here I'm only under 20,000 pounds of steel out there on a Monday morning at 9 o'clock just doing some work. And he said, son, you forgot to do your paperwork this morning. I said, Lord, that's right, I did. But I said, Lord, I just like 15 minutes under here, then I'll run right back over there and do it. He said, no, son, I want you to go do it right now. Now, we have a choice when he talks to us. Are we going to do what he says or are we going to wait? Well, I said, okay, I'll go. So I just laid everything down and crawled out from there and stood up and took the second step. And 20,000 pounds of steel that I was under, the supporting structure exploded and it was laying flat on the ground. If I hadn't have been obedient to the voice of the Spirit, I would not be here today. And I think of the thousands of people that would not have been healed, at least not through this ministry. God could have raised up somebody else. But I'm so grateful that I've got to be the one to pray those prayers. of. I'm grateful I got to be the prayer of faith, pray the prayer of faith for you, young lady. Amen. Aren't you glad too? Yeah. Oh, Ernest is lovely bride over there. I mean, you know, I got to pray the prayer of faith for her here a few months ago. She had had a tumor for 15 years. And within a week after we prayed, the Lord tucked that thing away. Isn't he awesome, Ernest? Woo! I mean, that makes you want to praise him. Somebody ask, Ernest, Ernest, do you believe God's real? They, I mean, they got to you too late. They got to you too late to make you there ain't no God in your life, is it? Woo! Glory to God. And that just makes me tremble all over when I, I mean, when, as I walked out there, I just got a chingling. Somebody said, do you ever feel anything? I said, no, but man, I did just then. Woo, I felt it. I'm still feeling it. Glory to God. Maybe I'm just beginning to step into that realm. I don't know what I'm doing. But oh, I loved it. Oh, that tingling was all over me when I walked out there. I think, wow, God, you're so awesome. We give him the glory and the praise. And I think about hearing his voice. And then this weekend I had a pastor. And his wife from, from uh, uh, yeah, Louisiana, Shreveport, that came and spent Friday night with me until about 1130. Uh, from, I guess they got there at 430 or whatever it was, uh, uh, 5 o'clock Friday afternoon, stayed with me till 1130. And we just talked about these wonderful things. He wants to get into a healing ministry. And we were talking, but he said, I've been listening to your tapes. And I hear you talk about you hear the voice of God. And he said, you know, I had a real experience when I heard the voice of God one day. He said, you know, I'm a, a dry, uh, not a drywall, but a uh, acoustical ceiling man. That's what he does as a contractor as well as preaches. But he says, uh, we were building a building. And he said, the general contractor 
since his wife knew I was a pastor, uh, every time she'd bring him his meal, she'd bring a nice meal for me. And I'd go eat in the, in the little trailer on the job site with him every day. And so said this one day, his wife brought the meal, and he come in and said, hey, call me by name. He said, I was on a double-fold a lift way up there putting ceiling tile in in a, in a high, high building. And he said, come on down. My wife brought dinner. He said, okay, I'll be right down. I said, the spirit said, no, don't go down. So I looked over to the guy and said, did you just say something to me? He said, no, I never said a word. He said, I heard a voice that told me not to go down. He said, there ain't nobody else up there except me and him and God. So he said, okay, Lord, I don't know. But he said, I hollered at him and said, I'll have to be there in a little while. He said, oh, okay, when you get ready. So he said, about 15 minutes. I said, I kind of quietly, I said, Lord, can I go down now? And the Spirit said, no, not yet. So he said, I just kept putting ceiling tile in. He said, about 15 minutes later, I said, Lord, can I go down now? And he said, no, not yet. So he said, I just kept putting them up about 45 minutes. And he said, all of a sudden, the Lord says, now you can go. Okay. So he said, told the guy, I said, uh, let's go have lunch. So but he said, as I'm letting it down, the Lord told me, he said, no lunch. You leave the job site and don't return. He said, Lord, I didn't have a clue what was going on. You know, God don't really tell you a whole lot. But he said, I let that thing down. I walked outside and got in my truck and I drove off. He said, I have no idea what's going on. But all I'm doing is obeying the Spirit. Amen. He said, I drive about three miles down the road. And I think, you know, I, I really am hungry. It's way past lunch. So he said, I, I just pull in here and have a hamburger. So he said, I pulled in there and had a hamburger. The Lord didn't say anything. So he said, I pulled in and I had a, had a hamburger. And, and he says, uh, after I got, I got through eating my hamburger, I said, well, I'm going to go back out to that job site and finish that building. I've got to finish that today. And he said, all of a sudden, the man walked in about that time, just as I'm leaving. And he said, oh, he said, Pastor so-and-so, I'm sure glad you're here. He said, I really need to talk to you. He said, well, he said, I really don't have time. If I talk now, as late as I'm not going to finish my building today. He said, but it's extremely important that I talk to you. Now, what had the Lord told him to do? Not come back. But see, he's trying to disobey, but he don't understand He's like all the rest of us. He doesn't have enough. He's, the Lord tells you to do something. You don't question him. You just do what he says. You know, if he says leave and don't come back, you leave, you stop, you have lunch, and then you go home. You know, but you don't come back. But he got to thinking, you know, I've got to finish that job. So he said, when I started to go back, the Lord put a man in my way that was absolutely demanding. He had to talk to me. So I finally said, okay, let's go back in and sit down. So he sat one and talked about an hour. And uh, he said, after we talked about an hour, he left. I said, okay, Lord, now I've got to go back and finish that building. I'm really going to have to work late to get through that building. So he said, okay, no problem. So he said, I headed back. So I to get about a mile from the job site and said, there's all kinds of ambulances and sirens and all kinds of stuff. I said, wow, must have had a wreck somewhere around here close. He said, I pulled up in front of that site and I looked. And the front face of that new building had fell out and all floors was laying flat on the ground, totally collapsed. You reckon it was a good thing for him to have listened to the voice of God that day? 
You know what would have happened to him if he had not been led by the Spirit and obeyed the Spirit? He would have been dead. You, want to, you know what would have happened to me if when the Lord told me to go do my paperwork, if I'd have said, but Lord, I'll, I'd just like 15 minutes, I'll do it when I get through. And the Lord says, no, go do it now. What if I'd have said, but Lord, just 15 minutes. If I'd have made that statement one more time, that's all it would have taken. And I would have been dead. But I didn't make that statement. I just obeyed the voice of the Spirit. When we walk in the God kind of love, when we walk obedience to the Lord, He will talk to you. He is a God that talks. Another man I know that was led by the Spirit had another unique experience too. He was going up a mountain one day, driving his car with his wife and his children, and there was a hundred foot drop off to the right. There's a little old dinky rail there, but it would it would keep you from walking off of it. But it, if you'd have hit it with a car, it would have knocked the rail out and the car would have went over probably. But it was a hundred foot fall to the right. And all of a sudden, this man of God heard this spirit say, pull across the left lane into the left bar ditch as far as you can get and stop. He thought, wonder what this is all about. But he started to cross the left lane. And his wife said something like, honey, you know, you're pulling into the left lane. If somebody's coming down the road around the mountain, we might run into them. He said, all I know is I've got to go across the left lane as quickly as possible and get over into the bar ditch and stop. She didn't ask any more questions. So he said, I just pulled right across, got into the left lane, and just as I stopped... A great big tractor trailer come around the mountain sideways. The guy had lost the trailer. The trailer was still hooked onto it, but it was coming sideways like this. The tractor's coming down. The trailer had started sliding, and the trailer trailer was coming sideways around it, right out against the edge of the road. He said there was no room for not even somebody to stand. That tra- the wheels were still on the road, but that tractor end of it was over even the rail. If he'd have been over there, he said it would have swatted us like a fly right off through that, and we'd have fell a hundred feet with my family and killed us. He said we sat there and watched that tractor go by us sideways. And then he said as the tractor's going down the road, there was a big uh, clump of stuff on the side of the road, and the tractor hit that when it did. It knocked the tractor trailer. I mean the trailer. When it hit it, it kind of knocked it back in and said so it pulled back in straight. And said so the guy went on down the mountain, out of sight, tractor trailer, going straight down the hill. He said, I sat there praising the king. Praising the king. Now, let me tell you, the Lord says, my sheep hear my voice. They listen to me. You start listening to that voice. In these days that you and I are living in today, if there was ever a time in your life when we need to start hearing and listening to the voice of God, I'm telling you there's an enemy out there today that's angry, and that enemy is coming to steal, kill, and to destroy. Now then, some people say, if I could just hear the audible voice of God, I would believe it. Well, let me tell you, every time you go to a church and the pastor picks up that book, and he reads out of it, you're hearing the voice of God. 
He's making you promises and statements to stand on. And we're going to talk about some of those today where the Lord has led me. And I want you to listen today to his voice of what he's going to tell you. Now, I told you here a while back that in these future days, I was going to take you away from some of the basic principles of the doctrines of Christ. And we were going to step over into some T-bone steak. And I preached one Sunday on that T-bone steak, and some of you had a little trouble swallowing some of it. But it was in the Word. So you don't have a problem with me. you got a problem with the king. The king's the one told you what to do and how to do it. So, And I even had one or two of the people here, uh, especially one or two of the little bit older ones, that came up to me and said, Thurman, I can't go there with you. I, can't, I just can't believe. I just can't do that. I just can't go there. Well, see... If I read something right out of the Word of God and He tells you what you can do and you can't go there with Him, then you got a problem with the King. Not with me, because I'm not going to tell you what I believe. Because where I'm taking you and T-Bone Steak, I better have some Word to back it up. Because let me tell you, when I first started out in the church, when God began to reveal to me that He was a healer, just being the healer was a little more than my Baptist church could grasp. They knew he was a savior, but to be the healer and be willing to heal you, that was something else. But then when I stepped over into another world, that you can walk in divine health. You don't have to be sick. I mean, they knew I'd lost my mind. It didn't matter what the Word said. You know, they just didn't believe it. Well, since he's a faith God, if you, can, if you don't believe that, you can't walk in divine health. But we, we'll go even into some deeper things. We're going to cover some of those today. Now then, before we go into the message today, I want to tell you that this afternoon, right after service, Benjamin's daughter uh, had a baby, and we're going to have a little uh, get-together back here. And, uh, you know, uh, some of you have brought gifts and things and money and everything else, and well, some of the ladies have prepared a cake and some uh, nuts and stuff, and we're going to have a little time of fellowship. So uh, I told the girls, I said, you know, or, or actually one of the ladies, Sherry, she told me first, she said, you know, I think we'll get you a little plate of something and hide it, you know, so you get a piece of cake. I said, well, good, whatever you do, hide it. Dave said, you can hide it right over here beside me. I said, no, no, don't hide it over there. I said, I probably won't get it. You know that too, don't you? Doesn't that sound just like a friend? Hide your cake and stuff over here by me. So, <laughs> oh, we have lots of fun serving the Lord together. But anyway, we're going to have this little gathering right after the service today. So anyway, I praise the Lord for the ladies that prepare and do all these wonderful things for uh, others. That's what you call doing deeds of loving kindness. You know, that's the God kind of love. That's the righteousness of God. Dave has, uh, the other Dave, Dave Rosenfeld, as he's going to ORU, he's learned something about righteousness. And he said, righteousness in the Old Covenant, what it really means is doing deeds of loving kindness. So, if you're walking in God's righteousness, then you're busy doing deeds of loving kindness. So, if we're doing deeds of loving kindness, then we're fulfilling what he says in the New Commandment, under the New Covenant, love your neighbor as yourself. So that's, that's what God's been all about all the time is love. So that's what we've got to do is love. Now before we get started with the message today, I want to give you an opportunity if you have a 
uh, testimony or something wonderful that God has done for you, I want to invite you to come up here and tell us what God has done for you. Anybody have a testimony you want to give today? No? This little lady, she's got one. Let me let her tell us what God has done for her. She's... What has God done for you, young lady? Well, I had a really interesting happiness week. Um, I was at school, and the kids, this boy was teasing me, and then I went up to him and told him to stop it, that God was watching him, and then he picked me up and threw me. So then I just rolled over and got back up, and I was thinking, kids got a devil on him. <laughs> so I've been praying for him, and it's going to get better. Amen. That's what you do. You stand on the Word. Praise the Lord. You got a testimony? Well, come up here. Tell us what God done for you. Come right on up here. Praise the Lord. Step up here on this platform where we can see you. Um, I had a big so dream and it, and and I was dreaming about something who was talking me. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Eddie. Praise the Lord. I'd just like to tell what something that God did for Leanne. And when we first started um, listening to your, your tapes, and um, my husband and I came to one of the healing schools, and we'd gone back home. And since I've had Leanne since she was nine months old. And when er, she, ever since that time, when she would get a mosquito bite or a spider bite, it would swell up, turn really red. If I, if I didn't notice it right away, we would end up in the emergency room, her unable to breathe. She just has a real aller- had a real allergy to that. And we were at the house, and she had gotten a mosquito bite that I hadn't noticed until it had, was real red and swollen. And usually by that time, it meant the emergency room. And I had the, the machine that we would put the you know, albuterol in and put her on uh, the breathing machine. And, and so I got that out, and I was... I was fixing to put the little mask on her face, and um, I just really felt compelled to to pray over her instead. And so I called my husband, and and uh, I said, "Would you go and throw this albuterol in the dumpster? I had just gotten a brand new batch, several packages of it." And and so he did. And when he came back up, I said, "Can we pray for her?" And so we, by the time we finished our prayer, her breathing was normal. And she has had many, many mosquito bites and spider bites since then, and not one of them has caused an allergic reaction. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God in the highest. That's why we do what we do here, so that we get to see a little tiny lady like that blessed. You have a testimony you want to share with us? I see you had your hand up there. Praise the Lord. It's awesome to see God do these wonderful things, isn't it? He's a mighty God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. I had an experience one time like you've been talking about where God literally saved my life. I I was living in Michigan in a small town, and I went to town to run my errands and go to the drugstore to pick up some photos I had taken. And when I got out in the car, if it wasn't audible, it was so close. And I I didn't know a lot of what I know now. But um, I got in the car, and God said, don't go home yet. And I'm like, who's that, that? You know, why can't I go home? And he said, look at your photos. And I thought, okay, I knew it probably was God, you know. So I sat and I looked at my photos. And then I said, can I go home now? And he said, yeah. 
when I got home, I lived right on a, a real like a dog leg shark curve, you know. And they wouldn't let me near my house. There had been two cars hit head on right where my van would have been parked. Wow. I would have been the one that hit head on. Wow. And, it, and God saved me. Amen. Praise God. Praise good dividends to do what the Lord says. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Anybody else? I think this is an awesome testimony up here. I'm so grateful that y'all were here today and shared about your little lady and, and how God has done such a great and mighty thing. But you know, it just comes down to one simple thing. We're fighting against an enemy that we have been given all power and authority over. We don't have to yield to him. You know, we don't have to yield to the enemy. Uh, you know, I can think of for years when I studied this book as I would read it, and I would read it slow and meditate on it. And I think about how much of this book I did not understand. And I really, it was really quite simple. It's just that I wouldn't believe what was written. When Jesus said he'd done something, I would think, gee, that's so unique that he says, I can do those kind of things. But when you go to your, especially I used to really hang out at church when we'd have a Ph.D. from the seminary come over, I thought those guys knew everything. You know, boy, I found out I was wrong there. But anyway, I thought they did, you know, but I found out they're just like me. They didn't know the answers either. But at least they had to make you think they did so they would tell you something. And, and, and um, it's so unfortunate that all they had to do was say, yeah, Thurman, that's what it says. But, you know, I think about a, a lovely man that I, I know that his favorite book is the book of John, which is what I'm going to teach out of today. And I think about whenever he came as an interim pastor for our church that I was going to years ago. And he was a professor in one of the Baptist seminaries. And after three or four months of being pastor, uh, interim pastor, one day I asked him, I said, sir, uh, he was an older gentleman. I said, are you married? He said, oh, yeah. I said, well, is your wife still alive? He said, oh, yeah. And I said, why does she never come with you to the service? And he said, well, Thurman, she has cancer. And I said, so what have you done about it? He said, well, we've been to the doctor. We've had surgery a couple of times. We've had chemo. We've had radiation. And I said, well, what kind of shape is she in now? She said, well, she's not well enough to go with me, so that's why she stays at home. And I said, well, what about the Word of God? The book of John is supposed to be your favorite book. So I said, what about the Word? He said, well, what do you mean, what about the Word? I said, well, you know, sir, I said, you know, there's a great and awesome promise in James 5.14. And I quoted it to him. And you know, James 5.14 makes such an awesome statement to the church. Did you know James 5.14? I mean, if you read the Bible like it's written, it is a guarantee to heal anybody every time. I don't care what your sin was. James 5.14 and 15, if the church believed that promise, they could come to James 5.14, and it makes this simple statement in James 5. I'll read this to you one more time, because I want you to see it. 
James chapter 5, right after the book of Hebrews, it makes this awesome statement. Anybody that needs to be healed, God gave us this great and awesome promise of James 5, 14, where he says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, to me, that doesn't sound very complex. Sounds really very simple. And then he says, the Lord says, and the prayer of faith. Now, not the prayer of unbelief, not the prayer if it be your will, but the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Isn't that an awesome statement from the king? Do you know? The church don't believe that. And, and the reason we don't believe that is because when we pray for people, if it doesn't happen instantly, in fact, I will tell you that I listened, and I guess I could call his name, but I won't. But he used to be dean of Dallas Theological. And I heard him every day for a week talking 30 minutes at a time on a radio show out of Dallas here, that when if God, if you pray for somebody and God doesn't instantly heal them, that's the only way God does business. And he don't really do it very often anymore. So he spent a week, 30 minutes at a time, each day, telling you, ruining your faith, that God doesn't do miracles very often and that he does not heal. And I thought, you know how... Can a man that's dean of Dallas Theological believe that? How can he read this same book that I'm reading? And I know he's super intelligent. I know he's super educated. Why can't we just believe the Word of God as it's written? I mean, you don't have to be a Ph.D. to understand that. All you've got to do is just be a human being that can read. Now, Jesus said... Is any sick among you? So if you believe that verse, and if you come up and I pray the prayer of faith for you, I guarantee you, you'll get healed. Because God said it. Now, He didn't say He'd do a miracle for you, but He did say He would heal you. Now then, I want you to know that when God says He'll heal you, that doesn't mean He'll take care of your problem in three minutes or three hours, or three days, or even three months. But when you stand, he will do it. Now, now we love it when he does it like he did for your wife, Ernest. In a week, your lovely bride was completely healed of a tumor she had had 15 years. Now, that's, what, that's the way we love to see God do things. No, that's not really the way we love to do him. We love to pray and it go away right before your very eyes. That's the microwave technology that we're set up with. That's the way we want to see it, right, Gerald? That's the way we want to see it. I mean, we want to pray and we want to see God do things instantly. Well, you know, I love it when he does those things. You know, like the other day, Dr. Gary Young out there in Salt Lake City, Utah, on Sunday night after church, that guy called me. And he had fell out of a tree on Tuesday and broke his back. And I prayed the prayer of faith for him. And I guaranteed him, according to Mark 11:23, he'd get a supernatural healing from the king. And when I made all those statements, 
I didn't have a clue exactly how God would do it. I just knew He told me what to do, and I said it exactly like He said. But I'm going to tell you, the minute I said, Thank you, Lord, Dr. Gary Young laying in bed with a broken back was instantly healed. Instantly healed. And he flew me and Cheryl out there the next day, and he picked us up himself at the airplane, at the airport. And we spent two days in their home teaching them about the true Jesus because they're Mormons. They're Mormons. Now, somebody say, you mean Jesus would even heal a Mormon? I'm telling you, he healed that Mormon. Yeah. Jesus will heal anybody. He'll, he'll do it according to your faith. I mean, I, when I read the Scriptures, Jesus never turned down anybody that came to him for healing. Not one single time did he turn them down. In fact, when they wouldn't believe, he marveled at their unbelief. Why is it today we don't get things from God? When he makes a promise like this right here, is any sick among you? Did you know if you get sick, which you shouldn't as a Christian, but if you get sick, you should come right here and say, Lord, I need to be healed. I need to go down to church. I need to find me a man or a woman of God, and we're going to pray the prayer of faith. We're going to kick this devil out of me, and you said it's done, so praise God, it's done. And then you get out of here and you go. And now let me give you an example. Let me give you a little bit of an example of why we don't get healed. I tell you, you have to stand on the Word. Stand. Well, in a week you feel worse than you did when I prayed for you. The average person will say, you know, I went down to Living Savior Church and Thurman prayed for me, and I feel worse today than I did when I went down there. So I guess God didn't hear his prayer. I didn't get nothing. Well, that's when you lost it right there. That's when the doubt came in and you lost it. Somebody said, well, good grief, how patient do I have to be? Well, let's say that in a month you still feel worse than you did. Is that a sign that God's not healing you? No. Well, what about three months from now? You're still sick and you're worse than you was when I prayed for you. I mean, I know this stuff don't work now. I mean, I went down there and I've been prayed for by four other people since then and ain't nothing happened. Let me tell you, you're living in total unbelief at that point. And, but you know what you should be saying? How do you feel? How are you doing today? Praise God, I'm healed because it's written in the Word of God. They prayed to pray of faith for me. It's written right there in James 5, 14. God said it. It's done. But, boy, you look awful. Ernest, you look awful today. Look at them sores all over your body. He said, don't make no difference what I look like. I only go by what's written in the Word. The Word says I'm healed. Praise God, I'm healed. And they say, you're crazy. Well, let me tell you, six months from now, you look worse than you did by far. And somebody says, well, what kind of shape are you in now? Praise God, it's written in the Word of God, I'm healed. There ain't no devil of hell can hold me down. I'm healed because it's written. And they say, that poor soul lost his mind. There he is saying he's healed. And look at him. Look at them sores. Look at them scabs. Look at look how bad he looks. A year later. Well, oh my gosh. Ain't no use me asking you what kind of shape you're in today. I can see you look awful. You ain't healed. Oh, yes, I am. I'm healed because it's written in the Word of God. And they said, man, let's take him down to the, the you know, the, this little ward down here, the psychiatric ward. He's got a real problem. Woo, smell of him. He smells like death. 
This is what separates the boys from the men in the Word of God. I think about the men that I know that have done that. I think about this man down here in South Texas that broke his leg. He was a pastor. And that morning the Lord told him to go do something. And he started to go do it. And then another guy come to him and says, well, let's go for a horseback ride. He said, I can't go for a horseback ride today. The Lord just told me to do something. I've got to go do it. He said, oh, goodness, you can go do that. What do you got to do? He told him. He said, you can do that this afternoon. He said, let's go for a ride. He said, well, I know I shouldn't do this, but okay, I'll go. So he gets on that horse, and when he does, he pulls the reins of that horse for a straight up. He slides down. The horse falls over, falls right on him, and crushes his leg. They hear, crack, and the guy looks up, and the horse crawls off him, and both bones are sticking out of his leg. He says, you just broke your leg. He said, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. He says, I shall never have a bone broken. He said, I didn't break my leg. He said, you fool, I see him. He said, I don't care what you see. My leg's not broke. He reaches down and puts them bones back in place, puts them in place. And he said, my leg is not broke. And he gets up and said, now let's go for this horseback ride. And the guy gets on the horse. And they ride that horse. And he gets back and then he goes and does what the Lord told him to do. And about a week later, he walks up on a platform to preach to some guys. And one of the guys said, Pastor, you can't be doing that. He said, what do you mean I can't do it? He said, we heard from so-and-so that you broke both legs, both bones in your leg. He said, you ever see a man walk with a broken leg? He said, no. He walked out behind the podium and he took that leg. He said, you see a man do that with a broken leg? He said, well, it's obvious your leg ain't broken. He said, I'm telling you, my leg's not broken. Well, let me tell you, that leg was broken. That leg was that big around. He said, that leg's not broken. He goes through day after day, week after week, month after month, and at three months, the leg is gangrene. He said, I was an old Vietnam vet. And he said, when them gangrene blisters started popping on her, he said, it's over. He said, I looked up at God that day, and he said, Lord, you promised me in your word. You would never put me to the test beyond what I could stand. But he said, Lord, I'm at the end of my limit. The pain is so severe. I know what your word says. And I'm standing on it. And I've acted on it. I've walked. I've done everything. When the pain was killing me, I said, Lord, your word says, and I'm standing on your word. So he goes out and he gets on his motorcycle, he cranks it up, and he rides down the road. He said, I don't know what I'm going to do, Lord, but I just got to go for a ride or do something. He said, I'm riding down the road, and all of a sudden I come up to a place, and there's a little guy, about five foot tall. Looks like he weighs about 100 pounds, standing beside the road. He said, the guy's, I said, no, I don't pick up people on a motorcycle. So he said, I just go right on by him. He said, just I go by, something spoke to me. He said, pick him up. And God speaks, doesn't he? Now, he had a choice to make. So he stopped. He turned around, went back, asked the guy where he was going. And he told him. He said, well, I can take you down to a certain intersection. You go down there at that intersection, then you go that way, and you can get there. So he said, but I'm going by there, but I'm not going to that place, but I'll take you to the intersection. Okay. So the guy got on. He said, I took off, and I took off, and I thought, how strange. I looked back and said, he's there. But he said, there's absolutely no sensation that there's no extra weight on that motorcycle. None whatsoever. He said, two or three times I looked back to see if this guy's back there. Even though he don't look like he weighs but about 100 pounds. He said, a 100-pound man on a motorcycle, you can tell they're behind you. But he said, I cannot tell this man's behind me. 
He said, I go down the road, I get to that intersection, I stop. And the guy gets off and thanks me for the ride. He said, I start to take off. And he said, by the way, the Lord said to tell you your leg's healed. He said, he said I'm already rolling. And I thought, how did he know my legs had a problem? I didn't tell. He said, I stopped and turned back around to see and said I could see a half a mile in every direction. And there wasn't nobody standing there. He was gone. He said, I pulled over, got off my motorcycle, pulled up my leg, and said it looked like a brand new one. Now see, let me tell you, when God made you a promise in his word, he cannot go above or beyond the written word of the living God. If he made you a promise, the devil will do everything he can to get you to doubt his word. And most of us are a pushover to the devil. Most of us have so little word in us, God could walk in this room and he said, I promise to heal all of your diseases. Now, if Jesus was standing up here right now in my place saying, I wrote in Psalms 103, I heal all of your diseases. How many of you are going to believe me? Every one of you would raise your hand and say, I believe you, Lord. Well, let me tell you. He's in me, and I'm standing here, and I'm quoting Psalm 103, guaranteeing you that He heals all of your diseases. Now, how many of you believe that? Some of you do, and some of you don't. You see where I'm coming from? Now, if the king promised it, if you don't doubt him, he has to do what he promised to do. He cannot lie to you. That's where the church has got to get. We've got to get to this point that the king meant what he said when he talks in his word. Do you know that the miracle that I had with Kelly and Caitlin, I've heard God's voice so many times. The day I walked into that hospital room, very first thing, whenever that police officer walked in and told me that uh, Betty and Amanda were dead and that my, the grandbaby and Kelly were careful to to cooks and probably not going to live. I stopped and started worshiping and praising God. And in the process of my worship and praise, I said, Lord, if I ever need to hear from you, I need to hear from you right now. I need to know what's going on. Not a thing. He wouldn't say a word. All the way home, I'm saying, Lord, I, I need to know what in the world is going on. Not a word. I walk into that hospital room, and I walk in, and I look at little... Caitlin laying there tore all to pieces and I said Lord I need a word from you Lord if I ever needed a word from you I need to hear from you nothing I said well I'm going to stand on it is written and so I begin to quote the word now I don't have I've heard God's voice many times but right now he ain't talking and if I ever needed to hear from him I need to hear from him the greatest trial of my life has been just happened, and I need to hear from him. But he ain't talking. I stand on his word, begin to guarantee people what he's going to do. Guarantee he's going to raise Kelly up and do a supernatural healing on her because I'm standing on the word. And people say, Thurman, you're crazy. You can't tell God what to do. I said, I'm not telling him what to do. He told me what to do. I'm standing on his word. He told me to ask anything I want. In the name of Jesus, and he'll do it. So I said, I don't want her to be in this hospital three months. 
I don't want it to be three months before she can walk with a walker. I want her out of here running and playing in just a very few days. And I said, I know he's capable of doing it. And he said, I could ask anything. I said, guarantee she'll be out of here nothing flat. So in two and a half weeks when she's back in school running and playing, everybody knew God showed up. And, of course, with Caitlin, which was much worse with a brain stem sever, took a little longer. But not only was Kelly and Caitlin miraculously healed, but seven other children. One of those little children that was in Cook's Medical Center, was born in Cook's Medical Center, had waiting for some kind of an organ transplant, had been in there two years, and had never been home. And after I got his mother and daddy to repent of their sins, and I cast those demons out of that child, that child went home in two weeks, the first time it had ever been home. But God raised up seven babies like that besides my two in Cook's while I was there. And I thought, wow. And so I, I start, all the time I'm seeing God do all these wonderful things. I'm saying, Lord, why won't you talk to me? I mean, why? I need to hear from you if you just tell me something. But he never did speak. But he did send three angels, you know, to tell me, you know, in the wee hours of the morning. You know, the second week, starting about Wednesday or Thursday, the second week when I'm walking out at three, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning going home to try to get a little sleep. I didn't know there was. I didn't know whether it was night or day. I didn't know what what time it was. I was just living in another world. But as I'm walking down that corridor, there's nobody there. At that time of morning, going home, when all of a sudden the little guy walked up beside me, and I looked over to see who he was, and he was looking me right in the eye, and he said, "The Lord said to tell you He loves you." Well, that startles you. You know, I mean, the Word tells me God loves me, but it makes a difference when a human being, it looks like, tells you that. And that happened every week for three weeks. And the third week when it happened, I thought, I don't know who these guys are, but I'm going to find out who this one is, I guarantee you. And after he walked around the corner, I was only six steps or whatever from the corner. I ran to the corner to look to say, hey, who are you? But there's nobody there. He was gone. So then I knew there were angels. I said, Lord, that's the closest thing I've had for, for a word from you is from these angels. But then when I got on the Sid Ross show a year later, and Sid heard about this miracle, and he called me up there, and I brought Caitlin with me. And that night we talked at the hotel, and then the next day when we got on the set, he said, Now, Thurman, everything's got to be perfect. If I make a single mistake... You've got to stop me because this is going to be seen by potentially millions of people all over the world. So he said, this has got to be accurate. I said, no problem. So we get started in there, and we're getting started. We're going along there. And he says, and then all of a sudden, after his wife and daughter were killed in his car wreck and his grandbaby and all this stuff, and he goes through the whole deal, he said, she's in the hospital. Doctors tell her he can't live. And all of a sudden, they say they're going to pull the tubes out of her. And he hears the voice, says, tell them, just go ahead and pull the tubes, and I'll make her live. And I said, stop, hold it. That's not true. That's not the way it happened. He said, hold it, stop everything. He said, what? You mean to tell me you didn't hear a voice? I said, no. He said, how in the world could you have had the faith? He said, what? Did you use? I said, Sid, I was just standing on the written word of the living God. And that's when he spoke to me. He said, and son, that's why I didn't talk to you. 
I wanted the world to know that they don't have to hear my voice. All they got to do is believe what's written in my word, and it's better than hearing my voice. I thought, wow. God, now I know. Now I know why you didn't talk to me. Now you let me stand on your word, and you perform some of the most awesome miracles you could ever perform. All because I stood on the word. Now, if you stand on the Word, and it didn't happen overnight, none of these miracles happened overnight. I mean, the, the face took a, a two weeks for all the scars to go away, but boy, when he does something, he does it good. Amen. How many of you have ever seen a lacerated face tore all to pieces and all the bones broken and not one single surgery, and in two weeks, every bone's put in place, and there's not a single scar or mark on a beautiful little face? You don't get to see that very often, do you? But I stood on the word of the living God. It is written. Now that when somebody tells me today, well, yeah, you believe that this Bible is inspired, but I believe only part of it's inspired and only part of it's from God. Well, let me tell you, you got to me too late. I'm going to tell you this book is the inspired word of the living God. And he means everything he says, and it doesn't make it. If it's written in this book, he is big enough. If he did, if there was a single book or verse he didn't want in this book, it wouldn't be in here. Amen. You know, I guarantee he will. He is big enough. The God of the the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and God of Gods. He's big enough to make this book exactly like he wants it. And he can move on the hearts of men as they go to translate this thing. He can move on those men's hearts so they pin down. And when they get it pinned down, it's exactly like he wants it. Amen. And that's the God he is. Now then, I want to take you to the book of John. And I want to show you some things in the book of John. I read these a lot of times. And it's kind of... John chapter 19 is where we're going to start. It's a little difficult if you read the book and take it at face value. But that's the way you have to do it. John 19, 39 is where we're going to start. And there came unto Nicodemus, and there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about a hundred pound weight. Now, the King James says about a hundred pounds. Your translation may say 75 pounds. It depends on what translation you're using. But about a hundred pounds or 75 pounds is about the same thing. One translation says 75 pounds, but the King James says about a hundred pounds. A hundred pounds of myrrh and aloe. Then it said, what are we going to do with this? And then it says, they took, then took they the body of Jesus, and they wound it in linen cloth with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you know what the custom of the Jew is when they wrap the body with these strips of linen? They take little pieces, they tear these things in pieces, and let me tell you how they do this. I think they learned this in Egypt, or they taught the Egyptians. I don't know which way it happened, but probably the Israelite people taught the Egyptians. But they take a strip of linen, 
and they'd mix this myrrh and aloe together, and they'd dip this in there, and then they'd wrap the finger like this. And then they wrapped this finger, and this one, and this one, and then they wrapped the hand with strips of linen. And then they wrapped the whole body with everything in it. Okay, now then. If they take and tear each one of those pieces of linen and dip it in myrrh and aloe and wrap it, when they get it wrapped and they get it totally sealed in with a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloe, when that myrrh and aloe dries within a few hours, it becomes kind of like that. It's solid. In other words, they put you in a cocoon. Now, if anybody has anybody ever been to the Museum of uh, Egypt, the Museum of Science in, in Cairo, and seen any of the mummies? Okay, here's a lady that has. You saw some of those, didn't you? Yeah, and some of those cocoons were thousands of years old, weren't they? Yeah, I was there, and I saw those things, and what an impact that had on my life to think about those cocoons of those bodies that are still wrapped and sealed in those things. Well, that's what they do, and that's how they do it. And it says, after they've wrapped the body and put it like that, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher or a new tomb where was never a man ever laid. Then laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day for the sepulcher, was nigh at hand. So they took him over there, and after they had wrapped him in a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloe with all these strips and made a cocoon, and he's stiff and wrapped totally everything. They put him in there, and they've done everything except totally wrap his face. Now, they've done this, and they've left his face uncovered, and they take him over and put him in this new tomb. And then it says that on chapter 20, it says, In the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, under the sepulcher or the tomb, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. In other words, she didn't go in. She walked up to a place where they, she had seen this tomb where they put Jesus, and she saw them put the big stone, roll it into place, and this big monster is heavy. It takes probably several men to roll this thing into place. And then she saw them put Roman guards and everything out there to guard this thing to make sure that nobody come and open this thing up. That was a request of the Pharisees and Sadducees that, you know, they said that he's going to raise from the dead in three days. So we ask you to send a guard out there to watch over this to make sure that somebody don't come steal him away and say, hey, he's not there. And so then the second part of this is going to be worse than the first because everybody's going to believe he was raised from the dead just because he's not in that tomb. They have no idea really that he is going to rise from the dead. They have no idea. But anyway, that's what he said he was going to do. Then she runneth. And cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciples, which Jesus loved, and said unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple that came to the sepulcher, which is John, 
So they ran both together, and the other disciple, which was John, did outrun Peter. And he came first to the sepulcher. Well, you know, Peter was a little older guy, you know, and John was a little younger guy. So, you know, that understand makes me realize how that John could have outrun Peter. You know, Peter was an older, uh, more solid, probably a little bit bigger and maybe a little heavier guy. And and he says, and and he stopped, or he stopped, stooping down and looking in, saw, now this was John, he stooped down and looked in and he saw the linen clothes lying, so he went, not in. When he saw all the linen, what does the linen look like? I mean, is it is it a bunch of rags like this laying in a heap? Is that what it looks like? When one of those cocoons, when you're sealed in that cocoon, ma'am, you the lady right there that saw the the the, the mummies over there in Egypt, did they still look like a body? Yeah, they they, they looked just like a body, didn't they? They were all wrapped up, sealed, had a head. And a body, you know, you could tell that this was a body in this thing wrapped up with the legs and everything. I mean, you know, they were, the people were a little shorter than us. I didn't see anybody over there in a cocoon that was over about five and a half feet tall. They didn't grow as big as we do in Texas, you know, but, uh, you know, they were a little shorter. But anyway, I'm sure some of them might have been, but the ones I saw all were fairly short people. But they looked like a body, didn't they? I mean, if you'd have walked in a tomb, you'd have saw that thing laying there. You'd have said, there's a body, somebody in that thing. Well, that's what he thought. When he went in and he saw this, after he ran in, he looked in and he saw this. So, I mean, he didn't bother. He's still there. You know, Mary, when she came up, she saw that the stone was rolled away, so she assumed he was gone. She didn't go in. She just assumed if it's open, somebody stole the body. That's what nearly everybody thinks. And he says, then cometh Simon Peter. I mean, you know, here's old Peter. He's lumbering along behind. Peter following him, and he went right on into the sepulcher, and he seeth the linen clothes lie. So he walked in, he sees them. And the napkin that was about his head was not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. So what had been over the face was missing. So there was a hole there that they could see into. Then went John also, that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. Now, I used to read that, and I think, God, I don't understand this. This is so simple. But I didn't understand all the things I've been telling you. But John ran up to the door, and he looked in, and he saw the body laying there. Well, there he is. He's still there. Of course, he couldn't see down in that hole where the face was. He just saw a body laying there. He stopped. Peter come running in. He come running up and he walked in and he looked and he sees the body. And he says, John, come in here. you got to see this. So John comes right on in and John looks down and he looks down. And when he looks down and saw what Peter did, what do you think he saw that made him believe? When he looked down in that hole, that hole, that thing is empty. There ain't no body down in there. That cocoon is still left laying there totally intact. Well, when he looked in where the face napkin had been, there's nothing in there. There's no face. I can just see, I can just see them boys now. This is not written in the Scripture. But I can just see them boys running their hand down in there. Where, where's he at? Did you see that top? I mean, he was in here. How did he get out of here? 
I mean, that's not written in the Scripture, but I, I virtually can just see that in my spirit. They're saying, he is not in that thing. We saw them. We saw Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea wrap him up and put him in. He was in there. How could he possibly have gotten out of there? I'm telling you, it's something to think about. But that's what they saw. After he looked and believed, it says, for in there. How could he possibly have gotten out of there? I'm telling you, it's something to think about. But that's what they saw. After he looked and believed, it says, For as yet they knew not the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. How many times had he told them that? I'm going to Jerusalem to die and I'm going to rise again. Did they believe it? No. How many times do we hear the Scripture and we don't believe it? The Holy Spirit does not give us revelation. We hear this stuff over and over and over. And somebody says, Thurman, why do you preach the same things in healing at a healing school, almost every healing school? I said, when they all get it, then I'll change. But so far, you know, you know how many times it took me to preach it before I really believed it myself? You know what I mean, don't you? You have to read the Scripture over and over and over and over. Finally, one day, the Holy Spirit reaches up, grabs you by the tie, slaps you three times, and says, Hey, look at what I'm saying. How many of y'all have ever been there besides me? Okay. we got some honest people in here. Praise the Lord. I mean, you don't, I don't think anybody gets the Scripture the first time they read it. You have to read it and read it and read it and read it and read it. And then finally, the Lord reveals Himself to you. Then He says here, and uh, after they saw this, uh, in verse 10, he says, Then the disciples went away again onto their own homes. They don't know what's going on. They just know he was not in that cocoon. The cocoon was still in there. They saw this thing, but Jesus is not in it. They have no idea where he went. But Mary stood outside of the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down, and she looked into the sepulcher. And she saw two angels. Now, these guys were probably there when Peter and John was there, but they were in such a big hurry, they didn't see these guys. But these two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lay. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Or why are you crying? She said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. This is kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? That she had seen him, she knew him, she had lived with him, she, I mean, awesome, she had fed him, she had done everything, and there he's standing there, and she don't know who he is. Can your eyes be blinded to certain things? Can you see something but yet not see it? Yes, you can. You've got to understand. Then it says, Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if you know where they have laid him, have borne him hence, tell me where he have laid him, and I will go and take him away. Does you think she thinks he's still dead? Yeah. 
And Jesus said unto her, Mary. And she turned, and she saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. I can, can't you see what Mary just done when she sees him now? Can you see her? I mean, can you see her running to grab him? I, can you see her going to love on him, hold on to him, maybe even fall at his feet, cling around him? Can you see that scene? Sure, that's what anybody would do if one of your loved ones had been dead and now they're alive. And he says, touch me not. Touch me not. I used to read that and I think, Lord, I don't understand. Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I send unto my Father and your Father and to my God and to your God. See, I didn't know at that time he had not yet poured out his blood on the mercy seat for you and me. He was going to have to make a trip to the throne of grace, the third heaven, to do that. So she couldn't go with him. He had to make that trip by himself. So that's why I was telling her, woman, don't cling on to me. Turn loose of me. You can hold on to me right now, just for a moment. But he said, don't try to cling to me. Back off. Go and tell them, I'm okay. I'm fixing to ascend to the Father. And I'm going to do something up there that I have to do. And then I'll come back. Wow. The eons of distance of space. The third heaven. The throne of grace. And he made that trip at the speed of thought. Poured out his blood on the mercy seat for you and me so we could be saved. And then after he did all the things he had to do. Of course the book of Hebrews tells us all about that. And then he came back just a few hours later. Boy, you talk about traveling at the speed of light. That's nothing. That's child's play. A mere, I mean, you know, I used to, when I had a 1959, I bought my first brand new Chevrolet Impala with a 348 Chevrolet engine with three two-barrel carburetors. That thing would run 120 miles an hour, and I thought I had the fastest thing in the world. Some of you think, Boy, if I was to, when I arrived with you today, you don't even drive the speed limit. I don't believe that. Well, I wasn't always this, I guess, I, I used to be kind of wild. I loved to race cars. That was my sin, I guess you'll call it. But I loved to build cars. And I thought when I was riding that car 120 miles an hour down the road, I thought on that racetrack, I thought, man, I'm moving 120 miles an hour. God said, let me show you how my light travels on 186,000 miles in one second. How do you like that, son? That's the way I travel. No, 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 that's not the way I travel. I travel at the speed of thought. It's just a few million, hundred million light years to heaven, and all i got to do is think, and I'm there. Now, that's traveling. He sends his chariots to get us. He sends his chariots to get us when we die. And we feel like we're just doing nothing. And we're sitting up there in that chariot with a couple of angels. And we're doing like these movies you see about Star Wars when all of a sudden you're looking at all of a sudden. All you saw was a blur. And you're there. Some of you all seen that on your computer screens and stuff. That's literally what it's going to be like for us to travel at the speed of thought. In the third heaven. You can be there just that quick. Wow. That's the way to travel, right? Translation, wow. See, God, we don't have a clue who this God is we serve. I mean, we don't have a clue. 
We, we, he does some little simple, something like takes a tumor out of Ernest's beautiful wife there in one week. And we jump it up and down and screaming, God. Whoa, glory to God. Well, we're grateful he did that for her, but God says, that's nothing. Y'all really ought to get to where you believe me for something. I'll really do something for you. We know, most of us like, whoa, that's something, right, Brittany? We love to see him do that, though, don't we? Yes, we do. And especially, especially, she sure loves to see it. Because it was her body the devil had beat up on. Now then, it says here, Mary came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, when the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus stood in the midst and said of them, Peace be unto you. Now, how long had it taken him from that day, that morning? It had taken him one day, on Sunday, to go to the throne of grace, pour out his blood, do everything he wanted to, and that evening he's already back to the earth. That's pretty fast. That's faster than my shibboleth, I'll say that, just a little. The one I used to think that was so fast. Wow, that is nothing. And then he says, Jesus said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said so, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then Jesus said to them, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Now, think, I want you to meditate on what he just said. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Now, let's read the next couple of verses, and then we'll talk about this. And when he had said this, he breathed on him and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, right here, did these men receive the power of the Holy Ghost? Or did they just receive the Holy Ghost? They just received the Holy Ghost. That's all, because it was several days later at Pentecost when the fire fell. But right here, they received the Holy Spirit. And it says, verse 23, I meditated on this verse a lot of times. I checked this out in the Greek. I've read this thing upside down, backwards, and it don't say nothing except what it says. I've tried to make it say everything but what it says. I've asked every kind of doctor of theology I can imagine And let me tell you, it says what it says. Look what it says. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto him. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. If you have Christ living in you, the hope of glory, do you have the power, according to that verse, to forgive people's sins? Is that what that says? Think about that. As I, as, as, peace be unto you in 21, as my Father has sent me, even so I send you. So put your name right there. Whatever your name is. Benjamin? Tatiana? Rosemary? Ernest? Whatever your name is, even as the Father has sent me, Jesus, even so send I you. And he breathed on us, 
and we receive the Holy Spirit. How many of you in here are believers in Jesus? If you're a believer in Jesus, you got the Holy Spirit. You may not have the fire. You may not have the power of the Holy Spirit. But you got the Holy Spirit if you're a believer in Jesus. The Holy Spirit's in you if you are a believer. He's in there. Now, you may not believe in the power. You may not believe in the baptism. You may not believe that. You can, you can just you can leave, live there if you want to. If you want to live with no power like I did most of my life as a Southern Baptist, that's okay. You know. But I, I, I had a whole lot more fun after I got the power. Amen. Ooh, life became a whole lot more fun. I'm telling you, life is a lot more fun when you believe the Word. Wow, when you believe Jesus. But he says after he breathed, believed, I mean breathed on them and the Holy Spirit come upon them, then he makes this awesome statement, whosoever sins you remit. Lord, I remit or forgive. That word means forgive. Lord, I forgive so-and-so's sin. I stand in the gap for so-and-so, and I forgive their sins, so they're therefore forgiven. Is that what that says? That's pretty awesome, isn't it? But it's written in the Word. So if you've got a child or someone that's doing something wrong, say, Lord, I forgive their sins, so I know you're in me, so I know you forgive their sins. I am voicing that. I'm asking you to forgive their sins because I know Christ in me, the hope of glory. You sent your son, and now he's in me. So Christ in me, this thing that I'm living in, I'm dead to sin. You're alive. So actually, it's not me standing here living, but it's Christ in me that's living. The same Jesus that walked on the earth 2,000 years ago is alive and well in every one of us that will yield and allow him to work through us. You can pray the prayer of faith and your baby get healed. Isn't that wonderful? Awesome. Praise God. I mean, how was this little baby? Six? Just think. How would you like to be the father that's taking care of this little child and they got these uh, uh, syringes or whatever this stuff is? With the, the, don't you have to have something like that to put in them? Or do you have to have that? A little vial of liquid that you put in the room. Yeah, okay. So that kind of stuff. But anything you have to do whatever, to put stuff in your child and take them to emergency, do all that stuff, and then one day you just make an intelligent decision, hey, let's just pray and rebuke this devil and believe God and see the glory of God. And you did it, and it worked. And One thing you spoke to me that we totally forgot, that babies will throw the medicine away was leave no provision for the flesh. Leave no provisions for the flesh. Now, let me tell you, that, well, that statement, she just said God revealed to her, leave no provisions for the flesh. When you are the parent or the step-parent or whatever you are, the God-parent or whatever you are, a little child that you love and you look down at them, or if it's your own flesh. I mean, I'll have to go back to what Ty said the other day. He said whenever he had that attack under the house and his throat all swelled up and he couldn't even swallow, he said if... He told the other guy, which was an ex-Baptist preacher, to pray. He said, now, if it had been the other way around, and he was the one that was choking to death, he said, I'd have probably prayed, but I'd have probably took a pocket and I'd have cut his throat. Because <laughs> he'd been raised up a doctor too long. <laughs> Is that right, Ty? <laughs> but, you know, we need, we need, I mean, I give him a hard time because he's a strong believer in the Lord. 
But you know, we need to make no provisions for the flesh. Is that right, Ty? It's hard though, isn't it? Guarantee it. And when it's our flesh, it's really tough. Or when it's one of your baby's flesh, that's when it's really tough. But let me tell you, you can make no provisions for the flesh. You've got to stand on the Word. If the Lord says you can forgive these sins, then you can forgive the sin. When you go in and you go to prayer for one of your children, if something's happened, the first thing you do, you've got to know that the reason these things happen to us is because of a devil out there. And usually it's our sin that's given him the legal right. In fact, I'll have to say every time, it's our sin that's given the devil legal right to attack us. So when we come in, the first thing, if you've got a child laying there that the devil's attacked and they're unconscious, the first thing you should say is, Lord, I forgive their sins. Because it's written in John chapter 20, verse 22 and 23, that I can, for, if I have the Holy Ghost and I'm a believer, I can forgive their sins. So, Lord, I forgive their sins so they're forgiven. Now then, since I forgive their sins and they're forgiven in Christ in me, now I'm going to cast that devil out and I'm going to expect you to reach down and touch them and heal them in the name of Jesus. Amen. That's the way we should pray. Amen. That's the way we should do it. Somebody said, well, I don't believe I have the power to forgive sins. Well... Whoever sins you remit or forgive, they are forgiven. That's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? I mean, is it? And then look what he says otherwise. He says, And whosoever sins you retain or do not forgive, they are retained or not forgiven. You have to start thinking a little bit like God to step over into these realms. Like I say, this is, this is some good stuff here. This is steak. This is meat. This is not, this is not milk. This is good stuff. Amen. I know I chewed on this a long, long time, and I couldn't swallow this because I had nobody to tell me it meant what it said. But one day I just made a decision. Hey, God, you said it. I'm going to believe it. I don't care what anybody tells me. I'm going to believe what you said. You tell me to go cast out a devil, somebody's got a demon, I'm going to cast it out. You tell me to lay hands on the sick, I'm going to believe they're going to get well. And if Jesus said it, that's why I could pray the prayer of faith for Dr. Gary Young the other day. I didn't know this guy, I had never met this guy. And at 10 o'clock at night when he called me and told me he had a broken back, I told him, I said, sir, I'm going to pray the prayer of faith for you. And I'm, um, Jesus said in Mark 11:23. now think about this. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty three, you can speak to a mountain. And if you don't doubt in your heart, that mountain will obey you. Then he makes a step right behind and says, So therefore, whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you shall have whatever you say. Now that's what's written in my Bible. And it's probably written just like that in yours. But most of us don't believe it. So when I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to restore this man's back and make it like brand new. I said, thank you, Lord, it's done. I said, now then, Dr. Young, I guarantee you, Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is going to do a supernatural healing on your back. I guarantee it in the name of Jesus. Reckon I pleased the king when I said all that? I must have, didn't I, Ernest? Because if I didn't make you, if I come and ask you to do something, and I did, you asked me to do something, I didn't make you happy, you probably ain't going to pay me, are you? But if I make you happy, you'll pay me. Well, evidently, I, I got good pay that day. I must have pleased the king. 
Because whatever I said, man, when he's reached down from heaven and he zapped Dr. Gary Young a thousand miles, at least a thousand miles away after in Salt Lake City, Utah, and instantly healed that back. I'm telling you, I love to see God do those kind of Amen. things. Whoa, and then I love to have a doctor pick me and Cheryl up at the airplane the next day himself running around there. Amen. No pain. Oh, I love to see God do them kind of things. Don't you? Yes, I love to see him do those kind of things. Now, see, it took me a lot of years to get to where I could make that statement. I read that a long time ago. Jesus said, speak to a mountain. I said, good grief, Lord. Speak to a mountain. I couldn't speak to a mountain. I mean, he said, if you say, if you don't doubt in your heart, well, Lord, I, I couldn't. Lord, I could not. Yeah, that must have been for the disciples then. I couldn't possibly speak to a mountain and expect that mountain to obey me. He said, as long as you keep talking like that, it ain't never going to work for you. But he finally got my attention one day. And then I started speaking to the mountains. I started commanding the mountains to leave. I started speaking in faith, just like you did over this little child. And it happened. Isn't that awesome? You will never be the same, will you? No. Anybody that speaks the Word of God in faith... If they're walking in obedience, got their sins repented of, and you hear the Spirit of God talk to you and tell you to do something, you do it. I mean, you may not understand what He's trying to tell you to do, but if you hear the Spirit tell you to do something, you don't ask no questions. You, if, you, if, there's, if He speaks to you and tells you to do... Now, let's say you're driving down the road, and He said, why don't you just open the car door and jump out? Now, who do you think that was talking to you? Yeah, that wasn't God, because that's going to do harm to you, and I guarantee that's the devil. Has anybody ever had a thought like that come to your mind? Anybody ever had a thought come to your mind to do something stupid that would do harm to you or somebody else? Sure we have. You know, I used to, when I used to race, I'd be driving down the road, and somebody would cut me off or do something, and I'd be going out, and all of a sudden I'd hear a voice say, why don't you just pull over in front of him and really get him? Oh, we know who that beast was, don't we? That was the devil. You know, God, that ain't a God kind of love. And people yield. That's just like that charismatic woman here a few years ago that drove off in the lake and drowned her three babies in the back of that car. Anybody remember that event? And whenever she got out, they said, how come you to do that? She said, God told me to drive into the lake. Let me tell you, well, the God that you and me served didn't tell her to drive off that lake and kill them three babies. The God of this world... You've got to be careful them voices you hear. Amen. God will talk to you and the devil will talk to you. But you've got to realize if it's something that, that you don't understand, but it could be something that could save you. It doesn't look like it's going to do harm like when the Lord told me, go do my paperwork. I didn't understand why he wanted me to go do my paperwork until a few seconds later. Then I knew. Do you know, I don't even remember how long it took me to go do that paperwork. I don't know when I done it. I was so dumbfounded. I don't know if it maybe it's the end of the day before I finally went and done it. I don't know. But I couldn't do it at that time. But God didn't care if I'd done that paperwork or not. He only wanted me to get out from under there. And he didn't jump up and say, Son, get out from under here right quick. This thing's fixing to fall. You know what I'd have probably done? I'd probably jumped up, hit my head, knocked myself out. <laughs> Is that true? But see, he don't do nothing like that. He don't scream at you and holler. He just says, son, you forgot to do your paperwork. Oh, yeah, Lord, that's right, I did, but I just like 15 minutes under it, then I'll go do it. He said, no, son, I want you to go do it right now. This is calm and cool, and the clock's ticking down. Five seconds, four seconds, three seconds, 
Get up, stand up, stand up. Two, one. Bam! But God's never in a hurry. He knows exactly where it's going to fall. Now then, I do have to obey. But when I obey, I get to see the glory of God. So anytime you're doing anything, I mean, I think about this woman that I shared with, I was down in, uh, close to Houston here a few years, three or four years ago, and I met a woman down there, an elderly woman. She's about 80. And she said, uh, I, I was sitting there talking with her and her husband, and the, both of them in their 80s. And uh, uh, she was telling me about, she said, I had an awesome experience in the, I think it was a Nashville airport about 20 years ago. She said, I was going from one ministry meeting to another one, and I'm running through the airport, and all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me and says, that woman over in the wheelchair, go over and lay hands on her, and I'll heal her. And she said, I'm running. And I said, Lord, I don't have time to stop and lay hands on her. Now, isn't that amazing? And he said, I said, go over there and touch her. Okay, Lord, okay. She said, I stopped and run over right quick. I said, ma'am, I ain't got time to tell you nothing. Be healed in the name of Jesus. I got to go. And said she was running. I had an airplane to catch. So she said, I went and called my airplane, went on. And she said, I came back through there the next day on the front page of a newspaper. Miraculous event yesterday in the airport. Mysterious woman touches a woman in a wheelchair. She gets off and runs off. Nobody knows who she was. In the newspaper on the front page. And I had the privilege to talk to the woman that did that personally myself. I saw that woman. She said, it was awesome. And there I was, almost missed that miracle. I didn't even stay and see it happen. I was in such a hurry. She said, oh, I knew God told me to go over and lay hands on her. I did. And I was gone. And he healed her. See, when God tells you to do something, you do what he says. But now in his word, he told us to go lay hands on the sick and he'd heal them. And he has told us in his word to do it. And we don't do it. We don't do it. You know how many miracles? That's just like I walked by a Sunday school class here a while back of a group of Baptist men. One of them said, Thomas Scrivener, come in here. I said, okay. I walked in that class and said, how can I help you guys? He said, why is it when you lay hands on the sick, they get healed? Well, I said, well, brother, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you laid hands on somebody and expected God to heal them? He said, well, I ain't never done that. I said, that's your problem. I said, when I go over and touch somebody in the name of Jesus, I expect them to get healed. He said, well, you sure do see a lot of them get healed. Well, hey, all I'm doing is what he told every one of us to do in the Word. Am I somebody special? No. You know the only difference between me and a lot of other Baptists or other Christians? I believe. And some of you don't. You know what's happened? You know the difference whenever y'all got her healed? You believed. When you believe, Wow, you got to see the glory of God. Ooh. And just think, a little girl that used to be in emergency on a regular basis don't have to go no more. Amen. Because mom and daddy done what God said for the little lady. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Isn't it wonderful? All we got to do is believe. Now then we go on down a little further. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with him. Now, this is us today. The other disciple therefore said unto them, We have seen the Lord. Thomas said unto them, You've seen him? Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side where that spirit went him. I will never believe that he's alive. I saw him die. I saw him tuck him down. I saw him put him in that tomb. I saw him wrapped in that cocoon. I don't believe you guys. You guys are lying to me. This wasn't just anybody. This was his buddies. 
This was his friends. These were the men that walked with the Lord with him. And after eight days again, his disciples were again within, and Thomas was with them this time. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut or locked, and he stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be unto you. Wow, what a scene. Then said he to Thomas, Reach hither your fingers, and behold my hands, and reach hither your hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. That's our problem right there today. We are faithless. We are Christians that got the King of kings and Lord of lords as our God. And He can do exceedingly abundantly above all you can even think or imagine according to the power that works where? In you. That's where that power is at. In you. But we're faithless. We don't believe. You know, every Christian, we ought to be walking in divine health. We should have no sickness, no disease. We ought to be walking holy. We ought to be walking down the street. We see somebody that's sick or afflicted. We ought to stop talk and say, hey, let me pray for you. Why do you want to pray for me? Because I'm a Christian. Jesus told me to lay hands on the sick and they'll heal them. Well, I mean, I don't know if I believe that or not. That's okay. You don't have to believe it. I believe it. Let me touch you in the name of Jesus. That's just like the day that I walked up out there and that poor little old woman had burned her arm. I didn't have time to talk to find out if that woman had any sin. I didn't have time to ask that woman if she knew Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. I didn't have time to ask if she would believe. This woman had fell in the big old oven and burned all the skin off her arm. She's screaming. She's in pain. You ain't got time to talk to people. This is where you use your faith. That's when you go up and you quote the Word. You grab her by the arm and say, Jesus said in Isaiah 53, 4, He bore your pain so you won't have to bear it. Then He said in Mark chapter 16, verse 18, for me to lay my hands on you and He'll heal you. And I said, woman, i got both hands on you. But I said, it might take a while for Him to heal you. I want to see a miracle. So I said in Mark eleven twenty three, Jesus said, whatever I say with my mouth, I can believe it with my heart. So I said, in the name of Jesus, I guarantee, woman, you'll get a supernatural healing from the King and His name's Jesus. Now when you speak it like that, you guarantee it. Somebody said, you can't guarantee God's Word. Well, if He didn't want me to guarantee it, He shouldn't have put it in there and guaranteed it Himself. Yeah. Would He put it in and guarantee it? We can guarantee it, can't we? And let me tell you, in minutes, her pain was gone, and she got to serve in the cafeteria that night, and everybody saw that huge burn all up and down, her, all them big old blisters. Everybody wanted to take her to the hospital. She was not willing to go. Got home that night. Her husband won't take her to the emergency. She wouldn't go because there was no pain. But the next morning when that woman woke up, there was not a mark on that arm. Jesus shows up to do miracles when you believe. You know, you know what that woman said the next day when she walked in? And little Melanie, one of the other little cooks, she said, Adelina, how's your arm? She held it up and said, look. Melanie screamed and said, another answer to Thurman's prayer. Praise God. And Adelina come walking over and Melanie said, look at this. Look what God done for you. And Adelina said, it sure was nice and cool last night. Don't you think that's why it healed so fast? Is, how many of y'all ever seen a burn like that, even if it was ice cold, cool, or heal overnight? If coolness had anything to do with it, the doctors would be soaking that arm with an ice pack if it had healed that quick. But only God can do something like that, can't He? Now, whose faith did He use to heal that woman? Mine. 
Who will He do these miracles through? You. All you got to do is believe. He'll do the same thing for you He's done for me. When you see this, stop being faithless and believe. Now today we don't get to see Jesus very often. I don't know. Has anybody in here, there may be somebody, I've never seen the king in a visible form. Anybody in here ever seen Jesus? This little girl said she has, praise God. There's one back there that says, yeah, we've got a three or four in here seeing Jesus. I, praise God. Lord, I've been cheated. I hadn't got to see you yet. He said, that's okay, son. You got faith without seeing me. So he said, that's okay. That's all that makes any difference, right? Amen. Praise the king. Now then. He said, Thomas, my Lord and my God. I mean, if you can't fall on your knees when you see the king and he's glorified, you really got a problem. But now Thomas has seen him and he falls on his face. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. So see, praise God, I've been blessed. I've not seen him, but I've been blessed. Let me tell you, I've been blessed. To get God, to see God do what I've seen him do and to never seen him, I feel blessed. But you know what? I feel blessed because I know the King is my personal Lord and Savior. I feel blessed because I'm going to get to go to heaven. That's what I'm blessed for. And if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's, you should praise him. We're going to sing a song, I think, are we not? before we go to the little party and praying for people. But I want you to know, as y'all are getting ready here to sing, I want y'all to know that of all people that's ever lived on this earth, those of you in this room that, and all other people on this earth that have had the privilege to meet the King and know Him as their Lord and Savior, you have been blessed beyond your wildest imaginations. Now, if you will read this book and study this book and begin to believe what's written in this book... Where most of you have lived, if you live like I did the first 45 years of my life, I'm going to tell you when I really begin to read this book and believe it, the next 20 years of my life has been an awesome walk with God. I mean, awesome. Is that right, Ernest? I mean, I'm telling you, of course, Ernest, he can say that because his granddaughter got healed, his wife got healed. And Ernest told me, he said, Thurman, I don't know why it didn't happen when I prayed for my wife and granddaughter. But he said, I know it happened when you prayed for me. And he said, I don't know what you're doing. But he said, I'm going to do what you've been doing. I'm going to get to where you got. And he's getting there, aren't you, Ernest? You're going to get there. Praise God. Well, let me tell you, God's no respect of person. But to get where you want to be with Christ, you can't get there overnight. You can't continue to watch secular television, listen to secular radio, and read them old worldly magazines and fill your heart and your mind with the junk of the world and ever get there. You've got to turn that junk off, and you've got to start spending time with the king. And when you do, then praise the king. He will do great and awesome things to you. He loves it when you spend time with him.